0: Hey guys, welcome to the Legendary Tales Podcast. I am your host, Adam Blore,
1: And I am your other host, Isadora Martandai. And
0: this is the podcast where we talk about cryptids, the supernatural.
1: Greek mythology.
0: All of it. Ghosts. Cool people. Badass history babes.
1: Which, as we've said many times, should in fact just be the name of a podcast entirely on its own.
0: Coming soon.
1: Okay, so we were just debating this, but I don't know who's up first. I think you are. Okay.
0: I know you probably don't want to go first today, but I had to go first last week, and I didn't want to go first last week.
1: All right, so last week Adam said that he wanted to do something about an ocean beast. Did that still track?
0: Um, I think we were going to do like a legendary animal.
1: I think I said...
0: Like an animal that has scientific fact as being having mythology based on it, but that sort of went off the rails this week as these things tend to.
1: Yeah, I... I think I said that I was happy to do something oceany because uh, I wanted to discuss what I've learned now is called the uh, aquatic ape evolutionary theory. Um, I I just didn't have the brain power to wade into evolutionary debates (laughs) this week. So I changed my mind. I then decided to do Poseidon.
0: Yep. And then then an an hour ago... (laughs) An
1: hour ago, I decided that Poseidon is... The second or third most written about God, and that it would require more brain power again than I have this week.
0: Yeah, evolution and Poseidon not good for not good for your week.
1: <laughs> no, it's not really
0: a, enough for an hour and a half. It's
1: been past. a long week, and I didn't have the brain power to shrink those down into bite sized topics. So I kind of you, I I am talking about Poseidon, but mainly with his relation to the lost city of Atlantis. Nice, and I'm.
0: That's a really underrated animated movie. Just like for the record, if anyone disagrees with me, you can fight me, but I think it's I don't
1: disagree. I remember that. Underrated. Okay, maybe we'll watch it. We should. I should have watched it for real research.
0: <laughs> Very accurate, 110% <laughs> accurate research.
1: All right, so my sources come from the usual like history.com, Wikipedia, but they also come from uh, an article written by Benjamin Radford. Who wrote for, wrote an article called The Lost City of Atlantis Fact and Fable from the website Mysterious and Unexplained, and from another website called Historic Mysteries. And I have, I swear to God, copied word for word some of the things those four people have said. That's fair. So I decided to break it down because there's kind of four interesting schools of thought, slash, not schools of thought, but interesting legends. Mm-hmm. Um All of them with Atlantis as the theme, and there are some common themes that run through them, but there's some decidedly different things. Cool. So I'm going to start off with the gods. As you know. As you do. As you do. Um, So Atlantis was supposed to be the domain of Poseidon, god of the sea. Uh, When Poseidon fell in love with a mortal woman, Cletio, he created a dwelling at the top of a hill near the middle of an island and surrounded the dwelling with rings of water and land to protect her. She gave birth to five sets of twins who became the first ruler of Atlantis. Uh, the island was divided among the brothers, with the eldest, Atlas, who was the first king of Atlantis, being given control over the central hill and surrounding areas. At the top of the central hill, there was a temple built to honor Poseidon, which, high, uh, which housed a giant gold statue of Poseidon riding a chariot pulled by winged horses. Because as we.
0: The uh, Pegasus, brought, tie, the Pegasus
1: in. tie in there. Um,
0: his son. <laughs> yeah. Made his son pull his chariot.
1: Yeah. And then he made another son king of Atlantis. So somehow this doesn't seem. Uh, yeah. Uh, you would go to this central island to discuss laws, pass judgment. You know, it was like the temple. Temple. To facilitate trade and travel, a water canal was cut through the rings of land and water. Um, and it was a densely populated area where. M- People lived in the just outside the Outer Rings. Beyond the city lay a fertile plain of 330 miles.
0: Wait, so, I'm sorry. So geographically...
1: Geographically, I cannot an, figure this, this out. This is an
0: island. Yes. And then is it rings of land...
1: Concentric... With, yes. with
0: rings of water. And yes. then it goes up. Yes. So it's like several ringed cities I'm surrounded not by moats.
1: i sure where the fertile plain of 330 miles long
0: I mean, and 110 island, miles I'm assuming wide. the island isn't just like a... Hill shape, it's probably so. I'm assuming the island this is a rough shape of how I'm imagining it, and that you have Atlantis like the, the, the with the thing with right. the temple, sort of.
1: He's drawn an egg shaped circle with another circle inside it. This is it. an avocado. It looks like, yeah, like if you imagine a cross section of an avocado.
0: And then, so this is like the hill where the temple is, and yep. it, it goes up this way, and yep. then this is the plane, maybe, because otherwise that, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
1: I don't know, whatever. I mean, it's
0: folklore, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Uh, The climate was such that two harvests were possible each year, one in the winter and one in the summer. Uh, There were mountains, villages, lakes. It had herbs, fruits, nuts, elephants.
0: Nice. Greece?
1: don't know. Uh, So the Atlanteans were generally simple, virtuous people, and they were peaceful and they prospered. Anything the kingdom did not produce was imported, and then it all went wrong. Each succeeding king tried to outdo his predecessor in building a greater kingdom. Finally, the splendid city of Metropolis.
0: Ah, from Superman.
1: From Superman. (laughs) And the outer city of Atlantis existed behind a great outer wall. Poseidon set down the laws for which the rulers were to follow, and the ruling body was to meet regularly. And they it was to consist of ten rulers, which represented the first rulers, Atlantis and his nine brothers, who reigned with absolute power and life and death over their subjects.
0: I didn't realize that there was this much mythology having to do with like the government of Atlantis.
1: Oh, we get there's the amount of information about this, let's be clear, where I stand on this totally fake city, is pretty Cool. cool. Yeah. Um so First, as required by ancient ceremony, pledges were exchanged. This is how laws worked Mm. in Atlantis. Then a sacred bull was captured and killed. The body was burnt as a sacrifice to Poseidon. Then the blood was mixed with wine and poured over the fire as an act of purification for each man. The rulers were served wine in gold cups. Each poured a libation over the fire and swore an oath to give judgment according to the inscribed laws. When ending their vow, each drank his wine and dedicated his t- cup to the temple. This was followed by a dinner, which preceded the rulers putting on magnificently robes, in which they judged matters concerning the kingdom according to Poseidon's laws. So, there's huge amount of detail as to how this went down, mm-hmm. like, and I think this is perhaps why this endures.
0: Yeah, because it's not just—it's a bit like Lord saying, of the Rings yeah, level. A, a of, lot of
1: lore of stuff. Okay. So the kingdom prospered because they all did this sacrificing, whatever. However, they began to uh, forget the laws and then they started mixing a lot more with mortals because I guess originally they would have all been demigods or gods. Yeah. um, And started acting like humans. Soon, pride overtook the rulers and they all began grasping for greater power. So you got these 10 people fighting. Zeus saw what had happened and he got mad and... He assembled all the gods of Olympias around him and pronounced judgment on Atlantis. And just before he... Um, and when Zeus saw the immorality of the Atlanteans, they basically swallowed the island whole. Oh. And it disappeared. Yeah. So this is kind of gods, like, wiping right. Noah. It's, it's the
0: 40 days, 40 nights. of uh-huh. just- Right Quickly, yeah, yeah, instantaneously, yeah. Okay, so
1: this is the idea: is that this was like Sodom and Gomorrah.
0: Yeah, it's the it's yeah, it's reset.
1: Yeah, reset time on Atlantis. They could not handle this paradise that they'd been given. Yeah. So that's the kind of god version Mm -hmm. of it, which it was very much Poseidon's domain. It was his city. It got corrupted by mortals, so they had to sink it. Sink it. All right. Now let's talk about. True,
0: big air quotes. Big
1: air quotes. Massive. Atlantis, which is from Plato. Cool. So Plato said that Atlantis existed about ninety thousand years, uh, ninety nine thousand years before his own time. Okay. Based on, and some evidence. I'm hoping his the the story was passed down by poets priests. We're going to get into like ancient Egypt was thoroughly involved in this particular legend, but I'm going to tell you first of all what Plato said about Atlantis in one of his writings, Mm -hmm. okay? I am going to quote from Plato here, and I have not read this out loud, so I'm really sorry. That's fine. It's not a poem.
0: It shouldn't be too hard to get through. It's only Plato.
1: (laughs) And it's not a poem. Okay. (laughs) For it is related in our records how once upon a time your state stayed the course of a mighty host, which, starting from a distant point in the Atlantic Ocean, was insolently advancing to attack the whole of Europe and Asia to boot. For the ocean, there was at that time navigable, navigable, for in front of the mouth, which you gods, which you Greeks call the pillar of Hercules, there lay an island, which was larger than Libya and Asia together. And it was possible for the travelers of that time to cross from it to other islands and from the islands to the whole of the continent over against them, which encompasses that ver- veritable ocean all that we have here lying within the mouth of which we speak it is evidently a haven for having a narrow entrance but that yonder is a real ocean and the land surrounding it it may most rightly be called in the fullest and truest sense a continent now in this island of atlantis there exists a confederation of kings of great and marvelous power which held sway over all the land and over many islands also part of this continent
0: Okay, so it, was a, it wasn't an island in like the truest sense of, or like no. the. So Plato,
1: sense of the word. Plato expands on it very clearly. By the way, also saying where it was. Yeah. Um, and that it was actually the size of a continent and should be called a continent.
0: Uh am sure, My timelines are way off.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He was obviously writing after the Greek mythologies already existed. Yes. So was he just? Are we assuming that he was just going based off of the, the so, war that already existed? There
1: is nothing written about Atlantis at all before Plato wrote this. Okay. Like, not at all. Nothing. This is the first mention of the word Atlantis. Hmm. So Plato's story centers around Solon, a Greek legislator and poet who journeyed to Egypt some 150 years earlier than he wrote. While in the Egyptian city, of Sias, Solon received the story of Atlantis from priests. The priests respected Solon's reputation and cordially welcomed him. They also respected the Athenians, and this is something I found really interesting, who they regarded as kinsmen because they believed their deity, Neath, to be the same deity as the Greeks called Athena. Mm. Therefore, she was believed to be the patroness and protectors of both Greece and e- Egypt. Okay. So I did wonder that because I mean, I don't know anything really about Anthony and Cleopatra but their famous love affair. Oh yeah, there was obviously like
0: uh, some cultural, a lot of cultural overlap,
1: tie-ins with those yeah. That's two. interesting
0: because I don't know anything about Egyptian gods. No. I, I know nothing about Greek gods, but I know even less than nothing about Egyptian gods. So it's interesting that they would, instead of being like, no, it's not Athena, it's Nia. Yeah, they're like, no, it's the same person, and we're totally chill and cool with that.
1: Yeah, I just, I just found that like, yeah, so and like I said, that was a quoted word for word from one of those sources that I said. I don't remember which one. Sorry. Um, but I thought that was a really interesting thing. According to the ancient Egyptians' temple records, the Athenians fought an aggressive war against the rulers of Atlantis some 9,000 years earlier and won. Okay, so this is where Plato's getting his information from.
0: The Athenians. Is that what you said?
1: Yeah. Okay. So Plato is getting his written information from some guy named Solon, mm-hmm. who was an, Ath- an Athenian, yep. who 150 years earlier went to Egypt, went to Egypt where one of the Egyptian priests told him this story of this place that was 9,000 years before Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yep. Really big, like, chain of whatever. Over thousands of years. So these ancient and powerful kings of Atlantis formed a confederation by which they controlled Atlantis and all the other surrounding islands. So that fits in roughly with the god thing, Mm -hmm. which is there was a whole load of them. They began a war from their homeland in the Atlantic Ocean and sent fighting troops to Europe and Asia. Against this attack of the men, the Athenians formed a coalition from all over Greece to halt it. When this coalition met, met difficulties from their allies, the Athenians fought on alone and defeated the Atlantean rulers. They stopped the evasion of their own country as well as freeing Egypt and eventually every other country under control of the Atlantis rulers. Okay. <coughs> The founders of Atlantis were supposed to be half god, half human. They created a utopian civilization and became a great naval power. Um, Again, concentric islands separated by wide moats, linked by a canal that penetrated to the center. Uh, The islands contained gold, silver, metals, rare exotic wildlife. They were, this is like, I'm guessing the nearest you could get to the Greek idea of a Garden of Eden Mm -hmm. Um, is what I'm kind of, the parallels I'm drawing on this. So they also place it just beyond the pillars of Hercules, which is the Strait of Gibraltar. Okay. They're quite, like, specific about that one. So, again, the same story. They became wicked and Imperteous, and their island was swallowed up in the sea as a result of a great earthquake. This was, like, (laughs) this was an allegory Mm -hmm. that Plato was writing. I don't think as he did. did. And I don't think that really at any point did he intend for people to think this was a real city. No. It was much more about how these moral and spiritual people who had a highly advanced city could be corrupted because they believed in power and greed more than utopia and they became petty. And it was definitely a vehicle for Plato to just point out his favorite themes as to why. Men suck. Yeah. Men. Men, yeah. <laughs> men as a people, not yeah. men as in man. Sorry. Okay. All of this is fine, but Plato wrote a lot of stuff and we don't talk about it and Disney hasn't written movies about it. No. So, was it Disney? Atlantis? Yeah. Was it not?
0: Yeah, I'm an idiot.
1: <laughs> was it Disney? Yeah. Okay. So, the person who is really credited for. Bringing this to the attention of the masses is a guy named Igneous Donnelly, not Donnelly, Igneous Donnelly. And he is actually from Minnesota. Oh, nice. And he was a congressman and an amateur historian. And he wrote three different books. And uh, he's been described by a guy named Adams as the first great Atlantis fundamentalist in that he believed that Plato's story was factually accurate Outside the supernatural elements, like Poseidon, mm-hmm. so actual city, actual city. This but is... just
0: didn't exist in the realm of yeah. of Greek gods. So in
1: 1982, he published Atlantis, the Andelevian world, which became his best-known work. It details series concerning the mystical lost con- continent of Atlantis, and it sold very, very well. And it became a feature of popular literature in the 20th century. He suggested. That it had been destroyed during the same event as the Great Flood in the Bible. So he was Uh, mixing... Interesting. Religions here, I guess, a bit. Mm -hmm. Or probably he was Christian. Yep. Didn't believe in Greek gods, so...
0: You have to tie it in somehow. Put it into
1: the Bible's thing. And he cited research on the ancient Mayan civilization by Charles Entente Brazier de Bourg. And... Baby and Augusta Le mm. um, <laughs> claiming that, yeah, claiming that it had been the place of common origin of the ancient civilizations in Africa. He also thought that it could have been the home of the original Aryan race.
0: Okay, I thought they came from the mountains of Caucasus,
1: though. Well, we know that now. Oh, when did he write this book? Um, 1882. Never, Never mind. Okay. No, this is, this is, so he kind of took Atlantis as a concept that we, or well, that the Greeks would have seen as Atlantis, mm-hmm. and then turned it into what the Westerners would have seen, or like the Victorians would have seen as Atlantis. Okay. So it became much more, and to be honest, he just did what Plato did. He bastardized it to be a modern al- allegory. Right. Um, but fitting in with the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. I decided to do a little research on Donnelly because he sounded like an interesting human. And in the past, when we have failed to do research on interesting humans. They have been interesting. They have been fascinatingly interesting. He was not.
0: Is that all he did in his entire life? No,
1: he published two more books. One was called Ragnarok, The Age of Fire and Gravel, in Mm -hmm. which he expounded his belief that the flood, as well as the destruction of Atlantis and the extinction of the mammoth, had been brought on by a near uh, near collision of the Earth with a massive comet. Um and it seems to have sold well and influenced Emmanuel Villavosky's controversial ideas half a century later. I don't know who that was, didn't get into it.
0: Yeah. He was in, probably the interesting one.
1: Yeah. In nineteen eighty-eight, he published I'm sorry. In
0: nineteen eighty-eight? Yes. His first book came out in eighteen eighty-two.
1: Eighteen eighty-eight.
0: And then he wrote a book in nineteen
1: eighty-three. No, nineteen eighty-two. And First, no, 1880s. This is all the 1880s. Gotcha. And then
0: 100 years later, he wrote a book. No.
1: No, that was in 1882. Was
0: when he published the book on Atlantis. Yes. And then when did this book come out? 1888.
1: Gotcha. You said 1988.
0: I am dyslexic AF. I was just like, that is impossible.
1: Yes. So... I did find one really interesting thing is that in 1888 he published The Gate Cryptogram hmm. in which he proposed that Shakespeare's plays had been written by Francis Bacon, an idea that was popular during the late 19th and early 20th century, and helped he helped popularize that idea. Mm-hmm. And that is still an idea that people have have. He traveled to England to arrange the English publication of his book, and they basically said it was... Total crap. And it was a complete failure. He wasn't allowed to publish his book in England, and he was discredited. Uh, less skeptical writers elaborated on Donnelly's theory, adding their own opinions and speculations. These included the mystic Madame Balfaski in her 1880 book, The Secret Doctrine, and famous psychic Edgar Cayence in the 1920s. Cayence, who put a fundamentalist Christian spin on the Atlantic stories, gave psychic readings for thousands of people who he claimed had past lives in Atlantis. Now you see, you know how I go across interesting people and I decided that this man sounded interesting. So now you are going to learn about the life of Egdecaens and his theories of Atlantis. Great. He is considered one of the most prolific prophets in modern history and is often compared to Nostradamus. He was actually far more prolific than Nostradamus with 14,000 plus readings. He was also a lot more accurate. He gave mostly psychic readings to people that were in great difficulty or suffering. He never asked for money and he never took advantage of them. By the way, wherever I got this information from, obviously we're really pro this dude. However, besides offering readings, he also prophesied about world events and past futures. One of those that he used to talk about a lot was Atlantis. He gave specific details. So I'm going to give you his version of what Atlantis is.
0: Yep, yeah, go for it. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Still here.
1: <laughs> um... He maintained that Atlantis was the first civilization that was technically superior to even our own. He added that its last surviving islands have disappeared somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean about 10,000 years ago, mm-hmm. fitting in with what Plato was saying. He claimed that the Atlanteans were well-versed in technology that harnessed the power of the quantum world. This included the use of crystals and sound waves for healing, elevators connecting tunnels operating with compressed air and steam and that they used quartz crystal science to mine gold, copper and silver from the Earth. The Atlanteans were adapted at using silicon chips as at levels unrivaled in the modern world. The crystal skull, for example, was cut with such infinite precision that no known modern tool could replicate the job. So he's saying that that came from Atlantis. Mm-hmm. They were familiar with the amplification of the power of crystals in laser technology and in memory chips. They also made extensive use of mass mental te- telepathy. Psychokinetesis and astral projection into the fourth dimension of consciousness. By the way, he was saying this in the 1920s, I believe. Yeah. Uh, He said that the people of Atlantis had constructed giant like laser crystals for power plants and that they were responsible for the second, those power plants were responsible for the second destruction of the island. He blamed the final destruction on the disintegration of their culture and on greed and lust. Guys, theme on everything greed, lust, bad, you will end up drowned. Two parties fought for control of the Atlanteans in its final day, the children of the law of one who wanted to return to the spiritual stewardship of the land based on natural laws, and the other group, the son of, sons of Belial, Belial, wanted to exploit natural resources for material gain. Mm-hmm. The chief focus of this conflict was a third class of dull, half-awake subhumans <laughs> that the sons of Belial used for slave labor. The children of the law of one wanted to enlighten these sub-beings by raising their consciousness. However, the sons of Beal wanted to keep them in ignorance and exploit them for their own gain. Mm -hmm. He He revealed that before they disappeared under the great waves, there was a mass exodus of the Atlanteans to ancient Egypt. And he attributed the biblical great flood of Noah to be a result of the last sinking of the remains of Atlantis. He also revealed, and this is where it gets really interesting, kind of. Well, I think the whole thing of this is really interesting. Mm-hmm. He also revealed that many Atlanteans had managed to escape, had hoped to preserve a record of their civilization. Thus, they created two separate archives within, with all their history and accomplishments so that they could preserve them. He said that the, one of these was buried under one of the Sphinx's paws. Recently, there has been new research conducted around the Sphinx with new technology. During the Discovery Channel specials, research confirmed that, in fact, they could see a room under the left paw of the Sphinx. However, the Egyptian Director of Antiquities will not allow excavation of that area for any reason. Mm. So not only did he prophesize, he would actually go on like otherworldly journeys. He told a lot of people that their past lives had been in the lost city of Atlantis. Um and they had been reincarnated into America to usher a new era of enlightened human consciousness. He referred to Atlantis no fewer than 700 times over the span of 20 years. He revealed information about how history started in the beginning, all the way way to how humans will evolve into beings with superpowers. Um, But one of his big things that he kept saying was that even the Lord of Lords could not accurately predict future events because human free will can alter and change the future. He used to regularly reference a Bible um, passage where Jesus was asked when he would return, and he replied, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And I guess that was Matthew 24, 36. Is that how you say Bible verses? Uh,
0: 24. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is.
1: Okay. I also, when I first read it, it says Matt, and I was like, wait, there's a Bible. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a, a chapter Bi- from Matt. There's a Bible? There's, there's a Bible. Um, so that was him. Um, he is pretty, is, I mean, everyone has really strong feelings on.
0: It's not like, uh, I mean, I sort of have passing, I, I probably think about Atlantis once every four or five years, and then I think, ah. Okay. Uh,
1: Yeah, but people had really strong feelings on it. And there also seems to be common ties, and most of them seem to be with the idea of a great flood and moralities. Yes. So let's talk about the realness. A gentleman named Ballard says the legend of Atlantis is a logical one, since cataclysmic flooding and volcano explosions have always happened through history, including one event that had some similarities to the destruction of Atlantis. About 3,600 years ago, a massive volcano eruption devastated the island of Santori near Greece. At the time, a highly advanced society of Minorians lived on Santori, but the Minorian civilization disappeared suddenly about the same time as the, Victorian, uh, as the volcano eruption. The Minorian civilization was born and developed in Crete about 5,000 years ago. They were artists, traders, experienced sailors. They were some of the first people to create and use written language in Europe. At its peak, they got destroyed and entirely disappeared for good. So they arrived in Santori, which, by the way, Santorini even, which is the most gorgeous Greek city. (laughs) Um, And they built massive public buildings, stone houses, and there's a lot of evidence for this, you know, both archaeologically and written, I think, Mm -hmm. evidence of this society, of their developments and what they did and the frescoes are still they're particularly famous for their vivid colors and wonderful representations and the frescoes are still you can still go see them in museums in around 1600 bce a chain of volcanoes and uh, eruptions caused a very powerful explosion in the santorini volcano and the volcano ashes covered the whole of the thing it also triggered a tsunami (laughs) Which then flooded the cities. Mm-hmm. So, maybe. Maybe. Now, one of the things that our prophecy man said mm-hmm. was that the city of Atlantis would be discovered in 1967 or eight. And in about that time, what was discovered was Bim-Ni- Bimini Road in mm-hmm. the Bahamas. Now, you may have seen. Pictures of this it's like the large limestone cut blocks that are in the, nope nope nothing got blank so they are they were discovered by divers and they look man-made i mean you like when you see them they yeah. look man-made they're big limestone blocks in various configurations with parallel some running parallel some running off it and it definitely looks like If you'd found it on the ground, you would say that that was the foundations of a building. Okay. However, a lot of people say it's natural geology. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So it does seem to be a pretty well-thought kind of idea. It's not in the right location. Like I said, Plato was pretty specific about where it was. And I think the fact that it's called Atlantis makes you think it's probably in the Atlantic Ocean. You would guess. Um, so, but the sci-fi's quest for Atlantis, Startling New Secrets, mm. uh, followed several different groups researching possible locations for the legendary Atlantis, legendary Atlantis, one of which focused on the Bimini, B-I-M-I-N-
0: B-I-M B-I-M
1: I-N-I Bimini? Bimini? Okay. Road. A guy named Greg Little led a team of researchers to dive and recover objects at the bay. Him and his team reported the discovery of an entire second layer of square-cut rocks with similar dimensions below the original stones found. Hmm. However, they have yet to formally published any detailed evidence and observation that demonstrate the presence of this underlying layer of square-cut rocks. Ah, okay, <laughs> thanks. Sci-fi. As a result, its existence remains unproven. Little believes that his discovery suggests that the Bimini Road may have been actually part of an entire wall or water dock. He has published a couple of different critiques of it. Um, And actually, this road is discussed in quite a lot of stuff like Ancient Aliens show on History Channel. The book is absurd. So, Atlantis is, I mean, there's kind of a lot of ways to take it. I mean, certainly. Most of what's written is written as the idea of a allegory for the evils of men, right?
0: Like as mo- like a lot of Greek things are,
1: yeah. Like, and the Bible, yeah. So
0: the the, the wickedness of of man is it's, it's yeah, it's meant to be like don't do bad stuff.
1: So was there this gorgeous city where it was a total utopia ruled by gods and elephants and fertile lands and all these exotic beasts? I hope so. I really hope so, but uh, I don't think not. there is. Is there certainly cities that have been swallowed by the ocean over the years? We
0: have not learned that lesson as a people's.
1: No, absolutely there's cities in the ocean that have been swallowed um during earthquakes and volcanoes and things like that. Is one of them roughly in the right location from where Atlantis was supposed to be? Hell yes. But I think personally what I find most interesting is the number of different tie-ins between. Egypt, Greece, America, and over and over again this idea of just travel and 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 protection throughout the whole of Europe and Asia. Like
0: Yeah. That's sort of what happens when stories evolve. Yeah. Obviously whenever someone looks at it, they look through it through a very biased and personal lens and they put their own spin on things.
1: But I wonder, it made me think, and maybe we'll get into this at some point, it made me wonder how many times the Greeks and the Egyptians agreed on a god or agreed on a fable because this is a...
0: Yeah, that that is really interesting Um, because obviously now looking at it from a modern day lens with the internet at your fingertips, you can, and plenty of people who are way smarter than us have done the research to say... These gods between these cultures have correlations, and yeah. or obviously represent the same ideals, same guy, people.
1: the same ideas. You got a sun god because sun makes crops grow, right?
0: Exactly, and so, but it would be interesting because you'd think that would cause more conflict than, but if I mean, yeah, when you said that, that's really really cool that that.
1: So there's a happened. lot of stuff, and and you know that it ties back to the Mayans, which obviously were advanced society. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's it. It goes to show that the world has always been perhaps a lot smaller than we think. Yeah
0: yeah definitely
1: i I'm am quite amazed whenever I do these researches and whenever I get into some of these Greek myths mm-hmm. um and by the way it's to, like I know you guys are really interested in Greek myths, so it's kind of fun because I see that the ones where we discuss Greek mythology always do a little better than maybe other stuff um but it is always fun when you discuss Greek myths to understand that maybe the Mayans and the Egyptians were all having the same.
0: Conversations with, yeah. like within their own, yeah.
1: And did the, whoever wrote the Bible, which I'm sure was God through the prophets, um, whoever wrote the Bible, had they read Plato's?
0: I would, or had I would, they? I would guess so because obviously Old Testament Torah written in Hebrew
1: is older than Plato?
0: No, but I, I don't, well, no, no, no. Oh, I'm going to, Really make myself sound like an idiot, but we
1: aren't very not, educated not, when it comes not, to religious not timings, theological
0: at, at, in any way. But I would, I would guess that, assuming that that book was written in that area, the the legends would have. I mean, there has. I, I'll have to I,
1: That can't be coincidence that no. everyone's having the same ideas of of cities filled with lustful and gluttonous people. Being drowned.
0: no, but that I mean that it can also you could also say that it's a coincidence because. That happens in every society,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that and that most people
1: earthquakes, tsunamis happen all around
0: the world, and most people want to be able to control those urges in a population. So you write an allegory about how if you're lustful or greedy, that you'll be incinerated by something or swallowed by the sea, and people go, "Oh, well, then we'll try not to do that." Yep. Yeah. So it's hard to say.
1: All right, what do you got for us? So, I didn't do anything like that okay that's what makes this podcast so interesting he's stretching he's warming up obviously we're in for a treat right now my
0: back hurts so bad okay so i've been playing a lot of animal crossing (laughs) um as isadora knows uh the bane of of most hours of my day for good reason.
1: Guys, this is why we need this podcast to take off. Adam needs a job. <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: need, I need something to occupy my time that isn't a video game. That isn't a fake life. Um, and you can fish in that game. And there's a fish that you can catch in that game that I was very interested in in looking at. And I sort of went on a deep dive of of real life sea serpents.
1: Yay! Um, kind of ties on from our messy.
0: Yes. Um, I didn't know this. This is something that I learned. And I, I was going to bring it up later, but I think it's probably better to bring it up now, is America obviously has... So there's a, the, the sea serpent of... I don't talk about this specifically, but it's the great sea serpent of Casco Bay in Maine. Her name is Cassie, and she's like American Nessie. And people go to Maine, and they sit on the bay, and they look out over into the ocean, and whenever something moves, they just scream evidence at the water because they really want to prove that this creature exists. Cool. I like it. So this sort of... At This sort of research that I did was partly because of a video game, but also partly because I think the ocean is very, very interesting.
1: You're also terrified of the ocean. I'm also terrified
0: of things that are underwater. So this this was sort of me hoping that maybe I could get over my fear of the deepest parts of the ocean, and it didn't work. (laughs) It's still terrifying, especially when you consider, because I was telling Dora this, that 95% of our oceans are undiscovered. So I also learned a little bit through one of these articles that I was reading is that there's actually a cryptozoology museum in Maine, which if we were still living in the States, I'd be like, let's take a road trip to Maine. And I've never been to Maine. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite places. Cool. I have lots of favorite places.
1: You do. Adam wants to live in every country he's <sighs> ever heard of, even though he's not been to any of
0: them. Yeah. Well, not forever. Just for like a year. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was a little bit interesting. I would like to, at this point, thank the sources that I use
1: referencing.
0: Yes, because these weren't just nameless people on a Wikipedia article. Um, so Spencer Alexander McDaniel wrote an article for the Tales of Times Forgotten, which I will reference in a bit. It's a Pliny the Elder reference, because you got to have one per episode.
1: Yeah, we referenced him just in case he comes back and gets
0: really <sighs> mad at us. Chelsea Steinauer-Scudder wrote the article, The Great Sea Serpent of Casco Bay, and she does a really great dive into why modern sea serpent tales still exist. Cool and also Stephanie Hall who wrote an article called The Great American Sea Serpent and that's where most of my information comes from and she basically just says we have a lot of references to sea serpents in American European sea traveling culture stuff and it's probably based on a real animal
1: Well done Stephanie Hall for teaching Adam about fish.
0: Thank you all very much and now I'm gonna read a bible verse
1: <laughs> I'm but, sorry do you want a reference who wrote that to you?
0: Uh, Job <laughs> It makes the depths churn like a be. It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all who are haughty. It is king over all who are proud. That is reference to Leviathan. From the Bible. And what I found very interesting, and this is another little reference, is the Bible references two massive creatures. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about the Bible, the Leviathan Leviathan and Behemoth.
1: I know about Supernatural, and they talk about the Leviathan. Yeah, the
0: Leviathan and that. Now, the references in the Bible to Leviathan are way cooler than how the show portrays the creature.
1: I trust you on that. (laughs) So...
0: So reference to Leviathan and Behemoth, and Behemoth is a giant land monster, Leviathan is a big sea monster. In later Jewish references to Leviathan say that God created a male and female Leviathan because God created everything, and then in some period of judgment killed the female so they wouldn't be able to breed, and then reserves her flesh for the celebration of the second coming of Jesus. So when, when Jesus comes back as Messiah to save us all from our wicked ways, we're gonna be eating Leviathan flesh, I guessed. I guess. I'm probably
1: not going to be around. No, I that. won't be either.
0: So that if someone could save some,
1: I'm not gonna be the,
0: invited on the least. side. That would be really, really great. But yes, yeah, so we've had giant ancient sea animal stories forever. Every religion, every culture has them. Uh the Leviathan and Christianity and Judaism. There's Lotan, which was a reference to the the Canaanites, um, in Mesopotamian religion. Tiamat, the goddess of chaos and the ocean, was slain by Marduk. In Hinduism, you have Vertra, who was another dragon slain by Indra. And then the Nords had Jormungandr slain by Thor. That's a little bit. Those are claimed to be a little bit different because they're sort of world serpents who are slain by a hero. But it's big, big thing living in the water. Probably big ha- big, has some tie-in to the fact that the ocean is so big, so unknown, so mysterious.
1: We, so scary we, when you're at him. Always
0: oh, been afraid of it. All right. But well, we do see a, an early reference to uh, Leviathans as well, and uh, Pliny the Elder's writings, who writes some very interesting things, specifically during the reign of Emperor Tiberius. An embassy was sent, and they claimed to have heard Triton out in the ocean playing a conch. I would desperately like to know what this actually was. I'm sure it was wind whistling through a cave or something, but it is interesting to read this sort of stuff. Also, during the reign of Tiberius, I believe it was Tiberius. Oh, the sea retreated, and it revealed what they describe as a quote-unquote horrifying menagerie of bones. Uh, the corpses of many fantastical creatures such as sea elephants and sea rams, which were anatomically identical to their land variants, but covered in scales. So what probably was more likely that the animals, if the, the sea did retreat this much, the animals went into the sea and drowned and then got covered with some sea gunk.
1: Okay. Or else they were from Atlantis.
0: Maybe. Maybe. Probably not, though. Okay. And then during the reign of Augustus, he was informed that a multitude of mermaid corpses washed up on the beaches of Gaul, and they were singing songs of mourning before they died.
1: So, corpses didn't wash up; live mermaids. Washed yeah, but they
0: out. became corpses very. Yeah, yeah, they became corpses very okay. quickly afterward. What's I'm interesting about what's interesting about this is again they reference the anatomy of these okay. of these creatures and says that they appear as they do in artwork, which would be upper body human, lower body fish. This person was like, no, they're all fish. They're all covered in scale. So I'm assuming they were just really big fish. I try, okay. I try, I I am probably trying to over rationalize things that don't need to be. That's just how my brain works.
1: Okay. So anatomically, they look just like fish. Yes. So,
0: so probably just, so they fish. were
1: probably just fish. Okay.
0: So that's actually like a first reference to, to,
1: That's interesting because I was going to do whenever we do um, whenever I feel brave enough to tackle the theory of evolution. The sea apes? Sea aquatic apes and that discovery thing about how dolphins and mermaids are related is definitely going to be a topic. We're
0: going to crack the code. Uh We're going to crack the evolutionary code. And then finally uh, Marcus Securus was some sort of purveyor of big sea bones. And he claimed to display the bones of Cetus. I had never heard of this. It's a Greek mythology. A terrible creature who was sent by Poseidon Mm -hmm. to fetch Princess Andromeda, but was slain by Perseus. So they claim to have his bones on display somewhere.
1: So I will do Poseidon one day, but generally the one thing I've learned about Poseidon, having read all of this stuff, Mm -hmm. he's a bit of a dick.
0: Well, yeah, they all are, aren't they?
1: Oh, no, he was...
0: Was he the worst? Was he
1: was the worst.
0: Because Zeus, is, Zeus is also known for, like, for taking for, in the biblical sense, taking, like, wives and yeah. and foster like fostering offspring. Even the gods offspring. thought
1: that Poseidon was a little fiery. Okay. His temper was a little much.
0: Poseidon isn't the 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 tie into Mars, is he? God of war.
1: I don't know. It was it was the three gods were given. So Zeus got the Olympus, sky. yeah. They were all given Olympus. Okay. So Zeus got the sky, Poseidon got the ocean, and...
0: Hades. Hades got, <laughs>
1: Hades got the underworld. Good, good. <laughs> And people got Earth. Okay. Basically.
0: Okay. Interesting. Okay, because I'm not sure, because I know that there is a tie-in somewhere with the planets, and... Yeah. But that's all... Uh, that's, that's, like, that's why like, I
1: couldn't be bothered. That's like I Greek and
0: Roman tie-ins, and couldn't that's couldn't
1: all... Couldn't get my yeah.
0: anyway, head around it. So yeah, those are that's like our first... Really ancient references to big sea serpents was Pliny the Elder, and he wrote about him in that book that I mentioned when we talked about basilisks. Okay, so I would really like to read that book. Cool. Hmm. Yep. You probably wouldn't. Uh, no, um, I would read it on the internet in short sections, like I'm doing right now. Yes. Uh, a little bit more modern sea sea serpent sightings. will sort of start the Kay. ancient, move up into the modern. On the 6th of August, 1848, Captain McHughay of the HMS Daedalus sighted an enormous sea serpent between the Cape of Good Hope and St. Helena. Do you know where that
1: is? I believe I've been to the Cape of Good Hope. Okay. But no.
0: Okay, neither did I. And I didn't look it up. I was just curious.
1: No, I believe I have... I believe it's in South Africa.
0: (laughs) Okay. He and his men claim to see... They call it a sea serpent, but they, they described it as being more lizard-like, okay. with four feet of its body sticking out of the ocean, and then they presumed that it would have 18 feet below the surface. You're talking about 22 feet. Um, I don't know where they got the 18 feet below surface. They just said that that's...
1: Maybe it, Maybe you can... like I guess from a balanced perspective, maybe they could see like...
0: Oh, like under the water, it looks a bit... Yeah, like maybe um, there was on.
1: Well, it wasn't going to be two feet under the water, or no, else its head would have just
0: fallen over. Fallen over. They claimed that it was. It swam next to the boat for twenty minutes, and they tried shooting at it. That's a common theme with all of these: is that the men on these boats get very spooked and try to shoot the, <laughs> the possibly mythical sea creatures.
1: Good, and they all miss.
0: Yes. Yeah. Des- like horribly. They're like stormtroopers. Some scientist I, I found a. a Quick quote who thinks it was probably just a whale, but I got a bit confused because it's, they think it was a sei whale, which is the third largest whale, like whale, okay. beside like the two bigger ones.
1: One uh, of which is the blue whale.
0: Yes, and then the other one. Um, but they can cap out at like 64 feet and they weigh 28 tons. So like this would have had to have been a, a very adolescent whale. Mm-hmm. I also don't see any evidence of them really sticking their heads out four feet of the water.
1: No, well, so you got to assume that these people have probably seen whales.
0: You would hope so. This wasn't his, like this captain, it wasn't his first excursion out onto the ocean.
1: It would be like me seeing a horse and me seeing a unicorn and being like maybe she just saw a horse and thought it was a unicorn. Yeah, I know. I've seen a lot of horses. I know when they aren't supposed to have things growing out their heads.
0: Yeah, like this is a big, it's a big whale, mm-hmm. and the, and they did say it was more lizard like than a serpent, so like you wouldn't really confuse a a whale for a, a salamander. No, so it's just a you, you when you find references to these sort of things, I maybe like me, people try to over rationalize them, and so they say it's a whale, and you're like, but it doesn't fit the description of this whale, no. so so probably not. <sighs>
1: Adam's notes
0: they are a mess
1: they look better than sometimes
0: because they're half interrupted here because you wrote a Chinese order on them. <laughs> and so this is the the first reference that I found this is the first reference I found that directly ties the sea serpent myth to a creature in the wild this the definition that it gives here well, this one, it doesn't because it's a bit hyperbolic, but the, the, <laughs> the physical definition they give. Hans Getty, off the coast of Greenland, was quoted as seeing a most terrible creature longer than our whole ship and able to stretch its neck so its head was above the crow's nest on the main mast.
1: Jesus, which is, is a cool.
0: massive, massive thing. Uh, they described it as being mottled gray in appearance with a uh, red coxcomb. Mm. Um red red fins, big bulging eyes, gray, gray and pale skin, silvery skin.
1: Sounds terrifying.
0: They're actually kind of cute when you see them in real life. They're sort of they're sort of goofy looking things.
1: Oh wait, this is the real life thing. This is a real
0: thing. Okay. It wasn't this big. This is obviously very much like okay. he. I mean, maybe he saw a very big version of this, but any recorded version okay. of what we have physically does not
1: and theory. when did he see this? In
0: 1734.
1: Okay, so not long enough that it's like the woolly mammoths or the... No. Or all cattle. No.
0: Okay. So what he saw was probably an oarfish. Oh. Or the what... They're also known as the king of the herring because they very... Well, they don't very much look like a herring. They they sort of superficially do. Okay. But since they're so big, people just call them that. Okay. Um. So what he probably saw, yeah, was an oarfish. Okay. Under the the genus, I think Regulus yeah. Glesny, maybe. Okay. It is the world's longest bony fish. It's very narrow. It has a dorsal fin uh, along the entire length of its body. It is bright red, mm-hmm. and it does have a massive like mm-hmm. coxcomb.
1: While you were talking, I googled it. Yeah. It's cute. You're right. It's I'm a bit it's,
0: it's a bit goofy looking. Yeah. It's silvery in coloration with a red r- with red fins and a crest, which earned it the name King of the Herring. And it has a very strange swimming pattern. So it's the one. It's a, a bony fish. It doesn't have an air sac. So it's not buoyant. It okay. swims vertically and uses its dorsal fin to...
1: It swims vertically?
0: Yeah. So in Animal Crossing, when you catch one and put it in your museum, I thought that there was a graphical <laughs> bug. Because okay. it, it didn't... The fish all swim and move around in the tanks. And the oarfish is just sort of like vertically hovering and undulating. Okay. In the tank. And I was like, oh, "That's a bit weird." So I looked it up, and people were like, "Is this a bug?" And I found a link to a video on Reddit of one swimming. And no, they just—that's just how they move. Ah. They're not buoyant. They just swim basically straight up. Cool.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: they're ocean drop dram- ocean oceanodromus. This is this has to do with this describes their feeding methods. Mm-hmm. It means they follow their food. They're migratory, which would explain why we have so many so many instances of people seeing similar things all over the globe. Okay. They mostly live in the pelagic zone, which is just the open sea. That's like the biggest part when you look at like a diagram of the ocean from the side, like yeah. a cross section. The pelagic zone is just the sea. Uh, but they also live in the mesopelagic zone, which is the twilight zone, <laughs> which begins at 1% of incident light okay. entering the ocean and ends at 0. So they they are like Deep water. Okay. Which is they're not super common. Okay. Out and about. They have been recorded as far as three thousand feet below the surface of the ocean. Okay. They only seem to come up to the surface when they're sick or dying.
1: Oh, okay. Which is a
0: bit of a of a shame. So they'll wash up on the ocean or on the <laughs> on the beaches and people will freak out because it's not a very common okay. sight. Oh. Sad. So this this uh how long do they live? I don't know. Okay. Um, but they can be very big. the The longest recorded length of one is twenty six feet. Wow. Um, but people have reported thirty six to fifty six. Okay. Footers, but they're, they've never been captured or yeah. photographed. Um, Max weight is six hundred pounds. Okay. Not massive. They're not huge. Not like the size of a whale. But given their appearance,
1: unusual, obviously
0: inspired many many okay. sea serpent stories. They're habit of washing up on beaches as they're dying earned them the messenger from the sea god's palace in japan where they were thought to be harbingers of earthquakes and tsunamis
1: is there any evidence to that
0: so they're very being that low yeah deep in the ocean they are more sensitive to seismic seismic activity and there is there are instances of them washing up on the beaches. Before or at like before a tsunami, but not before every tsunami or every okay. earthquake. So evidence is limited. It's currently considered that it's just a coincidence mm-hmm. if they do. And I found uh some some very interesting news articles that were archived from, from American newspapers okay. concerning these concerning these creatures. And I'm actually gonna pull up some pictures now for you to look at. So this picture is from 1860, and it's a sketch of it washed up on the beaches in Hungary or Bermuda. Okay. I can't remember. And that's like the first sketch. Hungary or Bermuda. One of one or the other. I can't remember. Not even close together.
1: But. Uh, yeah, it's in Hungary. Oh, yeah, it's h- it's Hungary Bay, Bermuda.
0: Yeah, that's what I meant. So I'm
1: not sure that Hungary has a coastline. No, it
0: doesn't. Hungary is okay. landlocked.
1: Okay, thank you.
0: Um but yeah, that's the first sort of sketch of it. Okay. We'll throw it up in the show notes and on the Instagram.
1: Yeah. You will.
0: Yeah, I will. Um
1: moving over. And um, if you move over to the left, I think.
0: Left or right, either one. I'm going to go over both of them.
1: Okay, so this is the newspaper article?
0: Yeah, so is that Monsters of the Sea? No, it's... Yeah. Or no, that's a 16-foot-long monster of the deep captured alive. This explains uh, Sea Serpent Yarns. Yeah. This article was published in the the Los Angeles Herald on Sunday, October the 17th, 1897. Okay. One of these creatures, 16 feet long, 17 inches in diameter, and 6 inches wide, washed up on a beach in Cape Everard, South Australia, mm-hmm. and the lighthouse keeper there saw it washed up on the shore, and he built a tank with seawater and then shipped it off, which blows my mind for two reasons. One, he either had one of these tanks just lying around.
1: To fit something that's 16 foot long. Yep.
0: Or that he built one.
1: Before it died.
0: Yes. So, very strange. So
1: It, it honestly makes me think of that Harry Styles song.
0: What song is the that? The video where he's does he capture an oarfish and he put captures it in a, a tank? fish
1: and a little thing and it grows bigger and bigger every day and he has to keep finding bigger. I mean, whatever whatever. <laughs> Pop culture, not Adam's thing. No,
0: Harry Styles not my thing. So he ships it off to a zoologist in Melbourne whose name was Sir Frederick McCoy. He, again, one of these people who I thought would be more interesting than they were when I did some research. Um, he did a few a few interesting things. Uh, he's the founder of the Botanic Garden at Melbourne University. Cool. Uh, he was also the founder of the National Museum of Natural History, which was headquartered in Melbourne University until it could have its own.
1: I feel like the Botanic Garden in Melbourne is actually the place that one of those palaces that I talked about.
0: Before. Oh, I think you did mention that, didn't you?
1: But I don't know if it was different than the one that was associated with the university or just... Anyway, Anyway, yeah, also... an interesting tie-in if it's there.
0: yeah. He also did some pretty dumb stuff.
1: Cool. Tell me about the downside.
0: He was a a member and a founder of the Accla, acclimatization Society. Okay. So he was Irish, obviously grew up yeah. over in the UK.
1: Yeah.
0: I think Ireland is what they would prefer, and moved to Australia to be a zoologist. Okay. And he was adamant on introducing exotic animals to Australia, with disastrous ecological effects.
1: Okay.
0: So he thought that Australia was too quiet. Mm-hmm. or that the wilderness sounds were unpleasant to his ears. So his big plan was to fill the Australian bushland with English songbirds. Okay. Which is a nice idea until you realize that European rabbits and starlings, which are were at the time already considered pests and invasive. He brought them and then just released them on mass into Australia, and they just like ravaged the landscape because they don't have—they're not meant to be there. Yeah. So he did some—he did some kind of dumb stuff. Yeah. More interesting, more interesting than what he did with this fish, really.
1: Well, I mean, it sounds like he was certainly trying to make his mark on the world,
0: and he did in a and, for worse and, and, and or maybe, better, and maybe a not a great way. He determined that the oarfish was young mm-hmm. because of its size. And he also thought it was unusual that it would be found so near to the surface, and that it must have been shocked to the surface and was stunted in some manner because they are very, like muscular. They're very yeah. strong swimmers.
1: Sounds like he was a bit ahead of his time in,
0: in that sense. In that sense, yeah.
1: understanding what the
0: and then and then to just be as ignorant as to re- release starlings into Australia is hysterical. And so there was a quote. Here, I think this should settle forever the sea serpent controversy. Mm-hmm. The first of this species is now in custody that has furnished more tales to the mariner than anything outside of the shipwreck itself. So they were like, this is the first time we've seen this physically. Yeah. This all now makes sense. And it was in a I couldn't find any pictures of it. Um, okay, I don't think there, I don't think photography was a thing in 1897. No, that that's why that's everything's hand drawn.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It might have been.
0: Um okay. it didn't it,
1: last long then. And
0: we went to the Berlin Aquarium.
1: But didn't it, live long?
0: I don't know. I couldn't find anything of oh, it okay. outside of that. I'm assuming it just stayed there for a yeah. bit. And then the second article I found The Sea Serpent is a Fact. Monsters of the Sea now recognized as actualities. The Washington Times, April 24th, 1904. And that's DC.
1: Yeah.
0: Washington, DC. Because this focuses quite a bit on the Smithsonian. Okay. Who recognized what they called the Magophius Magophius as the first real sea serpent. Okay. Based on the writings of Emile G. Rakovica, who was a Romanian zoologist, who published a book of a book on the sightings of a French gunboat, the Avalanche, and its captain, who, while out patrolling, saw two sea serpents and they swam, they swam by their boat and they were like, that's sea serpents, better shoot our guns at it. Okay. And then they swam away. They saw the red manes, the gray mottled
1: oh, okay. uh
0: appearance under the, the sea. And they moved on a vertical plane. So again, you have a, this. I think this might be the first instance of them actually being seen swimming. And this was off the coast of Tonkin, North Vietnam. And then nine days later, they surfaced again, or near another ship with the same crew members. So you have two instances of them very. You have two instances very close by where they yeah. they're okay. seen, and I'm wondering. I didn't look into this if there maybe was some seismic activity. Yeah, um, and that was, sent them. Sent them up to the yeah. surface.
1: Well, I'm assuming at a lot of these points they weren't tracking deep sea seismic no, activity. They wouldn't, have,
0: they wouldn't have been able to. to. Know I think maybe want. in the early 1900s they were starting to like yeah. get that idea. And they they tried to photograph the animals, but in 1904, setting up a camera takes like 15 minutes. And yeah. by that time they had already disappeared.
1: Are there any photos of them like recently swimming yes. beside boats?
0: So there, there are two very um and i'll just show them to you once we're finished with this or whatever but there's footage of it swimming in it's and the meloplegic zone okay so you can, and you can sort of see it it's just like a infrared not infrared because it's a cold-blooded creature but whatever yeah. the equivalent is and you can see it swimming up and then there's the, there's a video of one that actually washed up on a beach and it was still alive and the people like on the beach hoist it off of the beach and shove it back into the ocean and there's footage of it swimming under some guy's kayak and it's like three inches from his foot okay and it's it's like 12 feet long it's really really cool okay so there is there are i mean
1: i don't i don't at all deny the fact that these fish exist they obviously do exist yeah but i'm just interested to know if there's any recent footage of them swimming alongside a boat
0: no because they wouldn't really and that's the thing too is like what i'm curious about is they alongside for them is you'd really only see their head. Yeah. And they'd kind of move this way. Yeah. And it would be very strange and sort of... But yeah, so that's sort of them.
1: Funnily enough, they didn't come up at all in my Nessie thing.
0: No, so someone I was reading somewhere, and this was very strictly in passing, but they someone claimed to have found one on the beaches of Loch Ness, but that doesn't make any sense because they're saltwater creatures. Mm. And Loch Ness obviously just a lake not connected to the ocean at all.
1: No, and but it is very deep. Very deep.
0: Yes, it is. Um right. So what this sort of the finding what I found very interesting was when, was this article specifically the Great Sea Serpent of Casco Bay and she writes about Cassie, American Lassie, L- Lassie, Nessie, not Lassie. Lassie's a dog. But she talks about this intersection of mythology and science.
1: Okay.
0: Um where and what place modern sea serpent tales have in society? Because as you know, we become more science, like more proficient in research and science, and and things like this creature appear, m- the mythos sort of unwrite themselves, yeah. you know, because it just it's just an oarfish, right? And it yeah. was probably only twenty six feet long. It probably wasn't one hundred and twenty six yeah. feet long, although. I mean, to be fair, that deep in the ocean, there might be some massive fish down there that just aren't coming to the surface because they're, they're just, they just aren't affected by seismic activity.
1: Yeah. And, and then and they're
0: dying and they might not be floating to the surface because they don't have air sacks, they don't have airbags, so they wouldn't float to the surface.
1: Yeah, and honestly, uh, creatures changed in size.
0: Yeah. And so she, what, so that she sort of posits that. So she she talks about this intersection of mythology and science like I said and she she I think this is her quote I don't know if she quote co- was pulled this quote from somebody else. Okay. Your created world is only a fraction of what is here. Do not bury all of your fears. Do not sacrifice the inexplicable. It is in you as it is in us. And
1: It's very philosophical.
0: Right. Which is funny to think when it you 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 attribute people who are like cryptozoologists are usually a bit nutty, like the people who live in Point Pleasant and think Mothman is real, sort of aren't given a lot of credence, I think. Like in the, in the scientific community, they're just sort of like written off as... Yeah. But we're here to give them a voice and maybe <laughs> <laughs> very seriously give them a voice. I just Look, think, we,
1: I think... this Honestly, like the person that was hunting Nessie, as we discovered last time, can't remember his name at all, mm. but as we discovered when we looked into him a little bit, He's a legit scientist. Like he-
0: yeah. So, and that's the thing. So is she, she sort of said that these mythologies are still so important to people and they're still important. And the fact that they can be proven to be true. Yeah. So you've, you have the orfish explaining the sea monster thing, maybe. And then now people in Maine are saying, well, now we can finally prove that cassie is real or people in Scotland who are like well we can prove that nessie is real
1: it is interesting that we've talked a lot about cryptids and generally it seems that ocean ones i think we both feel could be a lot more reality than any of the other ones we've talked right, about
0: right especially considering like like the numbers are just yeah. like astronomical the ocean is huge and the fact that we've only explored 5% of it and probably even in our lifetime we won't get to the very bottom of the ocean yeah. we won't have that technology or like we won't be able to do it yeah. so there is still a large part of of the planet that is just a complete mystery yeah which is horrifying and i hate it
1: and it gives adam nightmares at night
0: gives me the shivers well
1: i'm very proud of you for addressing something that terrified you
0: yeah and i'm still scared and i'm going to tear these notes out and Burn them in a sacrificial way to make my fears go away. Yeah,
1: the orfish still exist though.
0: Yeah, and it's—I mean—it's a fun, cute thing. It's not—it's not like that. What's the really terrible one with like the really long, pointy teeth? Is it like the—are those the anglerfish? Oh yeah, those are awful. I hate those. They're
1: awful looking. I don't think they're dangerous.
0: No. Yeah, that's true. A lot of them are just like sort of transparent and weird. Yeah. I don't like that. Piranhas eat you. Though. Piranhas do eat you, and they live in a rivers, mm-hmm. and they can. Devour whole cows in minutes. Yep. Yum, yum, yum. So don't go to the Amazon.
1: All right. What are we doing next week? No idea. No idea. Never. Knew. Um, Leave it right. a
0: mystery. Who cares?
1: Sure. They well, because I feel like you've done the last, you set the last few. That's true. So I think maybe I'll set this one, but I'm not sure what we'll do yet. No. Um, I think we maybe do a role person, real character. Oh, company. I did say we could do a, comp- a legendary company? company at some point. Okay. Like a business that
0: I'm assuming you already have an idea,
1: no, I don't absolutely not okay, so I think we'll either do a company or a person again because I quite like learning about real people as well as,
0: yeah, yeah, that's big what stuff. that's what I sort of liked, well, maybe we should do something that's like super like not housed in fact at all at some point because okay. I think' we tend to
1: well, atlantis
0: is stretching, yeah, that's true, that's true, um.
1: All right. Um, Okay, (laughs) we'll figure it out. Stay tuned, because next week you'll find out along with us.
0: Yep, thanks for tuning in, guys.
1: Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. See
0: you next week. Bye. Bye.